You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. I'm really excited to uh, bring Julie up here. Julie is one of our pastors, one of your pastors. She's normally stationed at 29 West Tolbahawken. She's here tonight. I was in Jersey this morning, just in case you're wondering if I'm playing hooky. All the pastors are switching. So Julie's here with us. I love her very much. She's a uh, fierce leader, has a lot of courage, has done a lot to change her life to follow Jesus. Um, and I love being led by her and being on the team with her. I'm glad she's here. Come on up. It's good to be here with you. Um, Our theme is Things That Jesus Never Said. We're examining conventional wisdom that's gotten repeated so much that we um, become almost, it becomes almost religious to us uh, in the ways that we live it or apply it. So we want to pay attention to what leads us and get freed, freed up through Jesus who gives us the alternative. The whole church is doing this theme together, so we're working it out. Um, And if you ever want to hear another take on um, the topic, you can listen to the podcast because we're each using this talk. So I'm glad to be here with you. Rachel was at West Tulpahakan tonight. And this week's theme is you have to do what's best for your family. My cell was quick to say that nobody says that Jesus says this. That's true. I don't know that anyone's ever told me that Jesus says this, but I think it's more of an example of commonly accepted wisdom that gets religiously applied and obeyed, perhaps without much examination. Of course, people don't say that you shouldn't do what's best for your family. We're always doing what's best. We, we want the best for the people that we love, and when we're talking about our children or any dependent person whose well-being we're responsible for, I say yes, do the best, do what's best for them. But you don't, if you don't have a child or a spouse or anyone who is dependent on you for, for their care, you can probably just think of your family as yourself in this case. It's kind of the same idea. Like, you have, what's, you have your best interests in mind, and you're in the best position to make uh, decisions for yourself. It's, it's essentially the same as, I have to do what's best for me. So I do have children. I have two children, ages 8 and 11, and just days after my daughter Aaliyah was born, I discovered that there was more going on in my recovery process and I needed antibiotics. My doctor was ready to prescribe one thing, but the birth center had a different idea about what class of antibiotics was okay for a nursing mother. And the pediatrician had a different opinion as well. So I remember being on the phone with all three of them back and forth, uh, feeling so overwhelmed. I was at a loss. Um, What is the best thing for me to do? For me and my body, for this tiny baby and her body? 
here were these three professionals who disagreed, and um, I was the one who was supposed to make this decision about what was best. I knew that parenting would require a whole new level of discernment and decision making, but I had no idea it would start so quickly and, and be complicated like this. I felt super responsible to like do all the research and make the best decision. So when we say or think that we have to do what's best for our family, it's kind of assumed that you know what is best or at least that you're in the best position to figure it out. You have to do what's best, what you have your family's best interests at heart. Um, so it makes sense that you want what's best and that you can decide that. We're thrust into situations every day when we need to make those kinds of decisions based on what we have available to us at the time. And they're not always right, of course. We live and discern and learn and hopefully get better at it. But we do need discernment and wisdom to navigate complex situations and even the complexity of our own hearts. So tonight I want to help us examine how this works in our lives and by looking to Jesus, who, as the Apostle Paul put it, became for us wisdom of God, from God. We are complex human beings, so it's important to keep paying attention to what's driving our processes and our hearts. Let me pray for us before we go on. God, thank you that uh, you have given us yourself in Jesus that we are not alone to navigate the complex situations that we face and the complexities of our world. Give us your wisdom. Give us yourself tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So I make decisions all the time in my role as a parent about how I'm going to handle things, what to do, what to say, based on what I assess is best in the moment. And this is not unbiblical, of course. I am responsible to care well for my family. Scripture says in 1 Timothy 5, 8, that anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So caring well for our families is an important part of living out the love of Christ that, that Christ calls us to. And it's an important part of my being a pastor. I need to care well for my family. How can I care for God's church if I'm not caring, taking care of my family? But the trouble is that I have to, I have to keep examining what I think is best, because my assessment of what is best is not always something that I want to honor or obey. For example, uh, I could make decisions about what is best based on fear. There are a lot of outside influences that reinforce or convince me that if I do not do what's best for my family, my kids will suffer. 
My desire to shield my kids from suffering is pretty strong. It's, it's also pretty natural, I think, when my main job from the moment they were born is to protect them. But their needs change as they grow, and my protective instincts can work against me and against them if I don't change as they change. Uh, it could also be fear of judgment, because uh, I live in a society that I might be considered irresponsible or unloving if I don't do what's best for my family. And that judgment is like doubled up on women for some reason, or many reasons. Um, another example of what makes this complicated is the desire to do what's best for my family is inherently or oriented around the nuclear family. Where did that singular nuclear family value come from? I think it is society's habit to like leave parents in isolation since we are supposed to be self-sufficient individuals and by extension self-sufficient families. But this leaves me isolated at the center of what's best and good. So what would it look like to have a collective orientation versus an individual one? How would I make decisions for my family if together we were looking at the whole instead of me looking to one part? Uh, another example is that my whiteness has shaped me in ways that I'm still learning to see and acknowledge. I have access to resources and opportunities and rewards that were set up so that people who look like me could receive those benefits. They're not offered to everyone. So when I'm assessing how to do the best thing or get the best for my family, that might very well be intertwined with this long legacy of racist policies or practices, or even just my perspective, which has been formed from a position of privilege. It's not always right to get the best house or the best neighborhood or the best school when I have the freedom to choose those things without repercussions for my children based on their skin color. So there are a lot of problems with being organized around this idea that I have to do what's best for my family because what's best is not always based in something that I want to honor or obey. And the list could go on. You could probably add to it. I hope you will in the talk back time. Uh, but Johnny asked if I could talk about this in terms of my journey as a, and calling as a pastor. I bumped up against all of these problems and more because doing what's best for my family by conventional wisdom, or you could say worldly wisdom, did not look like becoming a pastor. I was 38 with two children and an established career as a clinical social worker. I didn't have plans to do this, and it brought up a lot of tensions for me. But you don't have to be considering being a pastor to encounter these kinds of tensions when Jesus speaks to us about this. Let's read Matthew 10, 37 through 38. Can someone read this for us? Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. 
not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Thanks, Bethany. Um, the image of taking up your cross is about following Jesus and living as though nothing but allegiance to Jesus matters. Family ties are secondary. And my reaction to this was not unlike the disciples, as like, Jesus, this is a hard teaching. And as I wrestled with what I was hearing and discerning as a calling to pastor, fears for my family were stirred up. What else is going to have to change? What will it take to do this? We've already adapted our family routines and our schedules in order to participate in this whole life that we have together, and it's beautiful. But how much more is required? Can we do that? I remember asking Rachel this question, how's she doing it? And she wisely answered, it will look differently for you than it does for me. And I'm so glad she said that because as much as I wanted an answer to know how I could make this all work, I could have wasted a lot of time trying to make myself or my family like Rachel's. And that was not what God was calling me to do. So in this chapter in Matthew that we just read from, uh, Jesus is sending out the 12 disciples as apostles. He's commissioning them. He's like giving them a new job to go with the announcement that the kingdom of God is near and to do works of healing. And then three times in this short uh, span of instruction, Jesus uses the phrase, do not be afraid. He's, he's sending them out without provisions for themselves, and he tells them that hardships will come. But he's teaching them that what they need is an awareness of God's care. God will provide along the way through others. God has compassion for them in the midst of hardship. And I, I heard that message for me. I remember writing in my journal, you will know suffering, and I will be with you. I also definitely struggled with an individual orientation versus a collective one. What if my kids don't get what they need from me? How will I make this all work? I don't think I can. In fact, I know I can't. I'm limited. I can't do everything And every time I get stuck in that individual orientation, I hear again the invitation from Jesus to be made whole with you all, God's family, the church. A nuclear family cannot be expected to provide a complete enough community. It takes many people to nurture my children. I can't possibly be enough to raise my children into adults that will face the world with faith, hope, and love. And when I operate like I can, I end up draining myself and getting anxious and depriving my children of the enriching experience of relating to others and depending on them. Every Sunday that Steve is on the worship team, 
which is most Sundays because we don't have enough drummers, and I'm working, uh, we rely on someone in the community to watch our kids. And that started when Aaliyah was a baby and Steve and I were both on a worship team. Uh, someone from the community would take Aaliyah home and put her to bed until we got home after the 7 o'clock meeting. It did not always go well. I think most of the time it didn't go well. But working that out, like, stretched my heart. It was me working out how to give what I had to give, but also that put me in need and made space for someone else to be in our little family system. And that was so formative for my faith and for my parenting. You could say that I had to become like a child myself, to be humble, to be in need, to be reliant on God and others to care for me. That is a way to enter the kingdom of God, not by having it all together. Jesus used a little child to demonstrate this. He said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. So needing others to be family for me and my children in like small interactions at Sunday meetings and then bigger things like childcare swapping and resource sharing made this verse very real to me. I got a taste of what it's like to live into the kingdom of heaven. Also, the basis for my expectations was really tested. I have a lot of expectations for myself as a mother. I had the privilege of a mom who stayed home to raise the four of us, and I can see how the expectations that I have for myself are tied to her in a lot of ways. She had a home-cooked meal on the table by 5.30 every day, for example. So an appreciation for that is, is like deeply ingrained in me. And besides that, I love to cook for people. So um, it makes me happy when my kids enjoy my food and are nourished by it. And of course, it's not wrong to want to have to cook for my family and to share a meal together every night. But we have trainings and meetings and dinners and a lot of other things that would take me out at night, and more so if I was a pastor. So I was wrestling with my expectations of what is good. This felt so foundational to me. I realized that I've been feeding my children to sustain their lives from the moment they were born. It's, it's like woven into my genetics to nourish them. So in this process, in a new way, I heard a call from Jesus saying, feed my sheep. And I, I realized that the nourishment that I can offer is Jesus himself. And that the table that I'm used to setting is not mine at all, but the Lord's. So not only 
that, but my family got exponentially bigger. It grew to include all of you and people I don't know yet. And my children receive this too. They are, are literally and figuratively fed uh, in this environment that we create. We were actively building it and celebrating it. Uh, yesterday, at Village Parenting Day, uh, up in Germantown on West Telpahawken, my, my children experienced the family of God Sorry, not just mine, our children experience this when we show up and make it. As we were playing with these 200 ping pong balls and bouncing in a bounce house and painting pumpkins and faces, we were nurturing a rich environment of God's loving presence. And there are countless others, other examples. This was just one day to celebrate it. I think all of our practices of community, and worship, and sharing God's story, and prayer, and service can meet our children at their various stages of development in different ways. They're learning the language of faith and experiencing experiences of spiritual practices um, that they can understand and connect to in age-appropriate ways. And my children receive that among us. God has a mission for all of us. He calls us to go and make disciples, not to do what's best for your family. Our community, our our village, has a God-given responsibility to raise up children to be disciples of Jesus. And our children will learn this as we live it. When we organize our lives to be missional and directional together, We're doing something that's hard enough to require God, and our children learn about who God is and how God works as they live it with us. A while back, we we rewrote Acts 4, 32 through 35 to reflect what we mean by village parenting. And I think we're always trying to work it out and live it out. Uh, This would be the ideal. Can someone read this for us? All the adults were one in heart and mind. No parent claimed that their personal resources for parenting were the only resources they had, but they shared with each other. With great power, the parents continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and their families, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy parents or children among them. For from time to time, those who had resources of time, materials, organizing and imagination shared them. The little they had individually became more in God's hands so that all the needs were attended. It's beautiful, right? That's what we're going for. When, when we are parenting as a community, all of us, not just the people with children, are, are in step with God who, who has made us with great instincts for love that are often unleashed by the little people among us. Jesus is freeing us from our individual orientation to a collective one, from from being bound to save your life to being willing to lose it. You have to do what's best for your family 
teaches our children that they are the center of what is best. You have to do what's best for yourself teaches you that you are the center of your best. When we organize our lives and our allegiance to Christ and participate in the mission of the body, our children absorb the reality that Jesus is the one giving us life. And we get to experience that in a whole new way. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.